From our headquarters in New York City, this is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week, I'll be talking to leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. I hope you'll join me. This podcast is sponsored by Dakota, the design center of the Americas. Dakota is South Florida's top showroom destination for interior design resources and inspiration. On Thursday, February 7th, Dakota will be hosting its annual Winter Market, a one-day event crafted specifically with designers in mind and packed with insightful talks from industry leaders and innovators, plus CEUs, panel discussions, book signings, and tons of networking opportunities. Visit dakota.com to learn more. That's D-C-O-T-A dot com. Or you can register directly at dakotawintermarket2019.eventbrite.com. And now, on with the show. If the mention of a botanical illustration brings to mind a certain stationary brand, you may be a member of Rifle Paper Company's devoted following, which nears one million people on Instagram to date. Launched by illustrator Anna Bond and musician-turned-businessman Nathan Bond in 2009, Rifle Paper Company has evolved from stationery maker to full-fledged lifestyle brand, gracing everything from Keds footwear to L'Occitane skincare to, most recently, rugs and pillows by Laloy. Nine years in, the company has grown to 200 employees and an annual revenue of $25 million. The husband and wife co-founders share the mistakes made and lessons learned along the way. So I'd love to start, for people that might not be familiar with, with Rifle, um, tell the story about how Rifle Paper Company got started. Well, it started when I was young. <laughs> <laughs> I was a stamp collector as a child. I had my great-grandfather's stamp collection. Stop it. Um, I loved stamps. It, and looking back now, I think stamps really are like almost the first graphic design medium. Did you call yourself a philatelist when you were young? No, I didn't okay. know that word. Okay. <laughs> and I, I poured over them. I used to take them out and pick my favorites and count them and all this stuff. Aww. So you really and loved them and they really spoke to you, the graphic I design and, and, the, and the images. I loved cards too. I found, like when we moved into our house, now my mom gave me all my boxes of stuff since I had space for it Aww. and found, you know, cards I had made that said on the back, like Anna's card shop and envelopes I had drawn on and all sorts of stuff and hadn't fully put together all the, the all those things were leading up this to this. This was all connected to what you were going to become. You had your own card brand, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> As a child. With clip art on, so you know, funny. whatever old Mac that was. <laughs> I love it. And if I recall, how did you get to do a forever stamp for the for the U.S. Postal Service with oh. the word love, we should point out, which is all, <laughs> seems so on brand That for was you. a dream come true. Yes, I would me. imagine. So, I mean, tell me how that happened. Yes, the love stamp, usually one comes out every year. Okay. I thought it was like the pie in the sky, never happened kind of thing. And then later um, found out, you know, it's a very small group of art directors who really decide who designs them and ended up uh, meeting one of those art directors and he knew that it was a dream of mine and he really advocated that I design one of the stamps so they said yes and so I worked on drafts and then those would get shown and really worked through him through the iterations of it and to get the final one approved and it was really such a fun process and really exciting for me. 
So that was one of the most exciting things to happen for you so far, right? Oh, yes. in, in all of this? For me personally, because it was such a personal goal, and I have so many goals with the business, and it's rare that I really do something outside of Rifle. So it felt really special because it had been such a childhood dream, and getting to do something a little different, and that ties back so perfectly to what we do. I mean, we're a card company, so. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what could be more appropriate? Yeah, exactly. so it was really fun. So now I had heard a story that you had a, like a super cute wedding invitation yourself and that other people saw that and they were like, oh, I love that. Could you do yeah. that for us? Is that sort of how it that really started? That did happen. Started? Our invitation was the first time I painted us into it as mm-hmm. a, like a little couple. And that became what brides really wanted and no one was really doing at the time. Okay. So I would paint the couple into their wedding scene, basically. And that became ah, really okay. what we were known for. Okay. And that's when I realized we had something very different from anybody else in the industry. And I felt like it's really when we developed the brand. Okay. I don't know if we knew what developing a brand was. <laughs> you didn't really think about it in <laughs> That probably sounds fancier than it. <laughs> no. Right. Yeah. But later you learned out that's what you did, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and so speaking of how far you've come, as you as you look back, were there things that you that you learned along the way? Yeah, I mean, we knew absolutely nothing about anything. Right. So thoughts like we want to make cards, find a printer. We were young at the time and I think we looked even younger than we were. Right. You're still young. And we were just like, we want to make greeting cards and had no idea what that meant. So we just sent the files and thought we would get greeting cards back that were Sure. Great. They're they're printers. They must know what they're doing, right? So you put some images up on the website and you launched the website. Mm -hmm. And that same day, the cards arrived and they were totally unusable. Correct. So what was wrong with them? What? Oh, I couldn't even count all the the reasons. I mean, they were, they were bent and crooked and there were ink smears on them and the wow. colors were all wrong and okay. some of the ink was peeling off. I mean, it was, you okay. couldn't... You could not use them in any way? Yeah. Okay, so what did we do? What, what, what happened next? Well, we started frantically trying to figure out, you know, getting the printer to reprint them. Okay. They couldn't get it right. Finding new printers, just, I mean, it was a panic attack. There was, we were getting all these customer service emails because we actually had a decent amount of orders right out of the gate. Because mm-hmm. Anna already had a decent following in the blog kind of world. Right. So the blog community had discovered your work. Yeah, the- it was a much smaller community back then. Right. And we launched with an announcement on Design Sponge. Okay. And she was very supportive from the start. Right. And I had been blogging the process up to that point. So, yeah, it felt like there was this community through Flickr and the blogs and... The wedding invitations had gotten some press at that point right. and had been okay. on different okay. blogs. So there was already this audience that had been built up a bit. There was some anticipation for the brand mm-hmm. launch. Yeah. There was some anticipation for it. So the site goes up and was did the site sort of convey that cards were in stock and sort of ready to ship? Oh, yeah. yeah. It, did. <laughs> it did. So that was people's expectations. Yeah. I mean, we it was almost like we had a big red button to launch the brand because we, I think we literally launched the site all the cards were coming the design sponge announcement like it was all sp- like the same hours like minute everything it was, was like we were just like time. launch and right. you, hit the you know button, then it sort of fell apart and then it all there. went went south that's yeah. great okay so people again we're laughing about this now oh, yeah. because very look funny. at the incredible success to you've got today it. right for me it was the lesson i learned from when i was a musician because i had kind of realized 
there were a lot of opportunities that got passed up because we weren't sure exactly whether we were ready for those opportunities or not. So right. there was some hesitancy, some sort of, well, let's get all our ducks in a row first and then we'll do that. And I realized that some of that actually were ended up backfiring because there was sort of a, we weren't taking advantage of what was in front of us and trusting ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so when we started Rifle, I, it was very important to me that we didn't make that mistake again. And so I think that's why we were able to kind of just launch a brand within a few months of having the idea. You know, we were just, this is going to work. We believe right. in this. Let's go do it, even though we don't know how. Yeah, we had a lot of confidence and drive and worked really hard. We were willing to put in a lot of work to make it happen and said yes to a lot of things we had no clue how to do. That's right. Because we knew it was a good opportunity and just sort of like, yes, figure it out later. So Well, and that sounds like a lot of what led mm-hmm. to the success was, as you were just saying, Nathan, not saying no to things and, and figuring out how to do things, other than right. putting off some of those uh, retailers in the beginning. You, mm-hmm. you took on anthropology, and you said yes to that, and then sort of put some things off until you got to the stationary show, right, and, and we're yes. ready. But, it, right. but in general, it sounds like you've said yes to most opportunities that have come along. Well, good ones. I mean, you have to right. be uh, discerning, because mm-hmm. there's lots of things that aren't actually opportunities that are available. You know what I mean? They're not sure. good opportunities right. is what I mean. So it's having the discernment to know what's worth doing and what isn't. And if the one that's worth doing seems really hard, but it, you know it's if you could pull it off, it'd be a win, we always said yes. Yeah. I mean, there was an order from anthropology kind of early on, maybe in our third year, that was just insane. I mean, it was 15, 20 times bigger than any order we'd ever received. I mean, it was out of control. There was no feasible way how we were going to pull it off with our current infrastructure and teams. So what we we I literally went and found a, a, a month-to-month lease on a warehouse that just down the street. Hired an entire team of people for just a month, and uh, put it together, got it done, and made it happen on time. But when we said yes to that order, none of that plan was in place. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. So it was more like yes, and then I yes. had to go and just by sheer will, we're going to make this happen. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. It was that sort of mentality. And that sounds like it's been a lot of what's made this happen is the, the sheer will part and, and, and the hard work. And that's a big takeaway from this was that it was a lot of hard work and, and years of hard work. I mean, it sounds like this was not a, an overnight success or, or, or an easy business to, to grow. But yeah. we have been very fortunate because customers have responded from day one. So I think we always knew what we had people wanted and could be successful as long as we didn't muck it up. You know, So I think there was, you're right, it was a lot of hard work, but also... We knew it was worth the hard work. We knew right. it could it could be it, it would work. Yeah, we were pretty confident in the product. Okay, and 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 we still are. And exciting growth is is coming soon. And has it been challenging as you've gone along to to sort of protect your artwork and and to uh, to, to 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 copyright things and and to to make sure that your your work's not being yeah. imitated. I think we we did anticipate it, you know, like our the copyright lawyer we work with now, we brought him on very early. Very early. You did. Yes. yes. It's one of the things we did right is we we got our we were <laughs> copywriting stuff from day one and yeah. right. taking okay. the IP seriously. Okay. Yes. And have you had issues with with copycats? A little bit, right? Of course, a little yes. bit. Which, you know, is to be expected and okay. we just try to look forward and do our right. thing. For me personally, I used to take it much more personally than I do now, but I think I've learned, you know, I just need to focus on what I'm doing next and there's so many things I want to do and evolve my style that 
that's all I need to worry about. Okay. And usually things get resolved. Yeah, we we have really good. That's right. We have really good success with resolving things that come up. I think it's partly because we're diligent about it, but not overly aggressive. If we're coming after somebody for stealing one of our designs, we make sure we have a strong case. Right. So we're always in a position of strength when we deal with these situations. And as a result, I think we do a pretty good job with it. So when a great big box retailer copies some of your designs, how does it sort of first come on your radar screen? How do you you even find out about it in the beginning? Usually it's somebody texting us or a customer saying, I've seen this and Mm -hmm. it really looks like it Or a friend. And if it's something that really is a copy... We'll take care of it. And probably the bigger the person, sometimes the easier it is to resolve. Because they're used to getting sued, you mean? <laughs> so I, they have departments well, they to deal they, with that? They have an interest in wanting it to be resolved right. and don't love the situation either. Sure, okay. And are, you know they don't want their reputation. Yeah, it know. depends on, I mean, it depends on the particular offender, I think. But right. I, I hear you. Right. Usually it, it's fairly smooth. And you keep that copyright lawyer pretty busy. Pretty busy. Yeah. <laughs> Got a good, healthy retainer, and, and he's a part of the team, right? Yeah. John, he's a good friend. John, he's a good friend. Okay. <laughs> he, there you go. That's, and that's a good friend to have, is your copyright lawyer, when you're a graphic artist. That, mm-hmm. right? He's either working on stuff for us, or he's spearfishing in Key West. He, <laughs> See, that's great. And you're making that possible for him. So, <laughs> so that's got to feel good. Yes. Entering its 10th year, Rifle Paper Company is preparing for its next phase of growth. Anna and Nathan reveal what that means for the lifestyle company's foundational structure and how the offers of investment capital weighed in. So you you got on a lot of people's radar screen as this really fast-growing company, right? Inc. Magazine sort of put you in their top 500 fastest-growing companies in the country. Suddenly you realize, wow, we've really got a business here. I don't know what your revenues were at the time. The most recent numbers I had heard were like $22 Maybe it's more than Mm, that now, right? But, I mean, that's from this little greeting card company to suddenly a $22 million business in, in not that many years. That's that's pretty impressive. It's it's definitely shocking, even to us. I think continuously we have right about two hundred employees, and I think we'll be around twenty five million revenue this year, um, nine years in. So yeah, it's very rapid growth, and um, it's a lot to keep up with. It's a lot to keep up with. It definitely feels like we've entered <laughs> this new phase. It feels of, like a startup again, a little bit. Yeah, kind of feels like we're taking some big risks, spending some money, right? Really, kind of investing in the business again in a new way and it's it's exciting it's a lot mm-hmm. of fun well so and you mentioned earlier that you've been channeling the money back into the into the business so you've so you've saved some money over the years and now you're making some some new investment i mean sort of i mean the, the business is actually very healthy mm-hmm. uh, so the revenues from the business are able to support the growth right. ongoing so hopefully that we won't actually have to t- get any outside money or bring any outside funding hopefully the business will be able to sustain the growth. Right. Have, have people been approaching you, though, about wanting to invest? People have always I would, been. I, I mean, <laughs> there's always been that. I mean, for, for years, there's been that. Yeah. Uh, but we've... We know, entertained it for a period. Did. We did. We did. So you thought about yes. taking some outside investment. We, we did. did. We went through a lot of meetings and conversations. And I think we then had a moment of sitting down and really thinking about what we wanted. And that I think we realized it's doable ourselves. And if we can do it ourselves... Why not? Because we have the control to really take the business in a way you know, we want to take it and make those decisions and that flexibility. There becomes a lot of pressure with outside investment. Sure, and having right. that loom over you is a huge challenge. We've heard a lot of stories about 
what that can do to a business. I just think we didn't pressure. want the stress somewhat. You mm-hmm. know, it's still about like you know we can do this. Let's right. let's do it without having right. to deal with all the extra administration and strings attached and all that. We just kind of felt confident. It's a yeah. family-owned business, and I own everything. We never had any investors. Right. And we've got total control. Yeah, we kind of like it. The answer to those right. venture capitalists' you know, demands. <laughs> yeah. So Trisha is really the first step in that decision. Like, okay, we can do this. Let's hire someone in who can help drive it. Right. And that we can lean on and. And she's been amazing. The Trish that she's referring to is Trish Whalen, who was named brand president of Rifle Paper Company last fall. A business development and licensing veteran, Trish gained experience at Ralph Lauren and MTV before spearheading licensing, product strategy, and business development at Kate Spade, which transformed from startup to IPO throughout her tenure. She left Kate Spade in 2015 after 10 years with the company. Realizing that she resonated more with creative brands looking to grow, Trish went on to hold brand licensing roles at Ivanka Trump and Reese Witherspoon's Draper James before joining Rifle Paper Company. The catalyst was they said, invited me down. Anna said, why don't you come down and, and see the you know operations in Florida? Mm-hmm. And when I got there, they had set up this sort of speed dating interviewing situation with all the sort of department heads. So oh, I was in okay. this conference room, this beautiful, lovely building yeah, um, in Winter Park, Florida, which uh-huh. is a beautiful spot in Orlando. Right. Beautiful part of the country. It really is. Yes. And I sat down with each of these individuals who had worked for Anna and Nathan, and most of them have been there forever. And it, after I sat with all of them, it was like Anna and Nathan and I went to dinner and I said, um, well, I have good news and bad news. I said, the good news is that I've spoken to everyone and that the pain points and the challenges and the opportunities are pretty consistent. Mm. And especially with challenges, if you have consistent challenges, it's a lot easier to knock it down than if you have right. like all these different things. And I said, the bad news is that it's kind of you guys. like." you're not making decisions fast enough. You're, you're <laughs> yeah. sort of like, you're the only decision maker. So right. like, right. I think that things are just getting clogged in the hose and it's all very solvable. Yeah. And I don't know how you feel about me telling you this. You know, this has really been their baby. They've right. built this thing over sure. nine years. Yeah. Um, and it's a wonderful thing. And they said, Trish, I think that's why we need people like you. We need pe- We need to, we recognize yes. that we're sort of, we were not making decisions because we're just not really sure. Right. I mean, here are two amazingly genuine authentic people who have god it's like true american spirit like entrepreneurial spirit they have created she is a very distinct um very talented point of view and in her art and her design um nathan was a musician and i mean self-admittedly is like trish i've just hacked this together so like whatever you think we should switch no no no. Uh, remarkably so i mean to their tremendous credit uh both both their sort of talent and uh, and really their spirit i mean they're truly like just doers and they've stuck with it and through all those challenges and i think that they're very open and nimble to like hearing people's advice and point of view but really knowing when to say all right, I don't know if I agree with that. And they've built this amazing business and this so beloved brand off very limited experience. So right. God bless, really. So you 
with all of your incredible experience, you you saw this much beloved brand and you saw the opportunity there. And then you chatted internally with all the employees and yep. and, and quickly learned that oh, it, in in sort of that classic young entrepreneurial way, right? Some things are getting bottlenecked and things aren't moving along. And there's Correct. right there's all these ideas and things we the business could had do. outgrown the brand. I right. mean, the brand was amazing and established. Brand was amazing, like, and people scaling. wanted all sorts of partnerships yes. and connections. And which way do we go? Yes. Right. Yes. How do we navigate all of that? So in comes Trish Whalen, branding and licensing expert. And what's the first thing you do when you get in there? And really just to take us like another thing I just want to lay on. Like I had a real aha moment when I met them and went down that I was like, oh, I remember this. I know what this is. This feeling of. This husband and wife. Yes, exactly. Super creative. So, so did it feel like Kate it and was Andy like, I and told was all that coming dinner, back to you? It literally was an aha moment. I was like, okay. oh my God, I know this. Yes. Right. And I think that when I went to work for Kate and Andy, they I was much younger without as much experience. And right. here I was sort of presented with a similar um, model where they had built this this brand and this business. But now I was so much more experienced and sort of like where I, I could see that I could really help and like understood that with all those successes and, and challenges that I had gone through through the multiple brands that we've talked about that, oh my God, I can bring that here. Right. You know what I mean? And felt yeah. very confident in what I could offer to these guys. Um, and well, this, and what an, so what an incredible feeling for you, right? It was. So, so it this truly time was around, like a magical yes, thing. Yes, you're like, oh my gosh, I know exactly what moment. to do to to grow your business. Yes, yeah. I've I've been there, I've seen this, and you could see how talented and how passionate they were, and the, and how passionate the team was. Yes. The same same yes. experience that I felt at Kate. Right. With the first regime, as I'll call us, like just we all were working in a very magical time yeah. at this very magical brand, and really just taking that that goodness and like bringing it out and doing right. more things with it. And right. so I felt that this had the same recipe that I was yeah. like, oh, this is, I know this. Okay. We're taking a quick break to remind you to register for Dakota's Winter Market, where we'll be on Thursday, February 7th. This season's trade-focused market day, themed Artisans and Innovations, will feature the latest product intros and offer a jolt of New Year inspiration via talks, classes, and networking opportunities with some of the most influential names in design. To kick off the day, Business of Home will be sitting with Nina Campbell for the opening keynote Q&A, which we'll also be recording live for an upcoming episode of the podcast. For more schedule highlights and to register for Winter Market, visit dakota.com. That's D-C-O-T-A dot com. And now, back to the show. So as you show up at Rifle and start whipping the place into shape and what what's sort of the first thing that you realize you you need to do to sort of get your arms around where to where to go next i was a listener i definitely wanted to just absorb it um, right. i spent a lot of time down in the winter park office and really just tried to make myself available um and based on the, the, the original speed dating interview i kind of knew where the opportunities and challenges lied and a lot of it was like back end mm -hmm. um i think a lot of the front end what i will say is they they had an amazing um established distribution network okay. right we had some amazing we have some amazing key accounts anthropology and paper stores and indigo and barnes and noble we have six thousand points of 
distribution across um, regional independent, you know, mom and pop, as they call them, right. <laughs> stores um, yeah. across the country and across the globe. Yeah. So they had a very solid established distribution network. I felt like that front end was, was in working order. I think they have a lot of like organic growth. People just love the brand. So again, front end. So I feel like where we started to focus a little bit more on was like, where was the back end? Where were these scoops of efficiencies mm-hmm. to make sure that we're putting a foundational structure in place? Because I, I can see the opportunity for the brand like a lot of sort of incoming interest people right. and or people you talk to that are familiar with it that there was there is a lot we don't lack for opportunity i think it was it's more about being disciplined to make sure we have the right foundational mm-hmm. sort of structure in place and right. the right resources in the right areas whether that's design or planning or sourcing to be able to continue to build upon what anna and nathan have right. developed thus far so you have an enormous social media following and and huge fans of the brand. It sounds like you reached out and and tried to sort of survey right some of the some of the followers over and, ten thousand respondents. Okay, um, so you had over ten thousand people respond, which to is your an amazing outreach. thing. You have to remember, people are taking like ten minutes to fifteen to twenty minutes out of their day to like complete a survey. So yeah. the ten thousand responses we got, we were blown away. We were so happy for that kind of outpouring of consumers that just wanted to tell us what they felt for the brand and I think that what rose to the top in that and what I told Anna and Nathan is like you have no idea to have a brand that has created such an emotional connection Mm -hmm. to these customers that is something you can't architect so if you have that going in we're way ahead of the game Um, and that's what the survey taught us the survey taught us that essentially there was all of these people who felt so in their souls in love with this brand and what it meant to them and I think as they started as a stationary company and a greeting card company like people were giving this product in a very sentimental way to their mothers or their friends or what have you and so we decided to do more research and do like a little bit of a deeper dive the e-com survey was able to give us a lot of data Mm -hmm. in terms of they wanted home from us they wanted a tabletop from us they want bedding from us this is where we shop for the brand anthropology's you know catalog is where i get my home inspiration it was like that's what they were telling us okay we then hired red scout which was a strategic research agency that i've worked with at multiple brands in my past who really tried to color it up and give us more contextualized information about our customer and so we set out on this trend. They did interviews with stakeholders, internal and external, talked to our sort of retail partners that have been with us forever, mm-hmm. talked to internal team members, right. um, and really started, and then went out to the to three markets for us and did research to find out from these brand loyalists and their friends who keep them true in real time when they're talking about the product, why Rifle? What makes you so you know emotionally connected yeah. to this brand and what, what are the opportunities and what does that experience feel like when you're purchasing this product and what do you know about Anna and her artistry and, right. their, and Anna and Nathan's entrepreneurial story and so that was my first thing that my first big initiative that we tackled um, and it was it was just terrific that sort of information we got back because what it did was reinforce some of the strategies we were kicking around to say like well this is it so for example home was a resonating category mm-hmm. that both the e-com data as well as the the consumer research showed us that's what they want us to be in that the customers wanted you they to want expand to into the home market and i think it's interesting just even as like a strategist when i it was kind of on it was on anna and nathan and my agenda um predates me that they started this this conversation with Leloy mm-hmm. um in the rugs and, right. and furnishing space um and simultaneously while we were doing this research we launched the rugs and the reaction that we got 
thought was overwhelming. Not only just like at high point and going in and seeing these people line up just to meet Anna. And yes, um, so we touched on that a little bit. I mean, so the high point people were just they were sort of in awe of this huge fan base that appeared to welcome these Laloy rugs. And it was a small capsule collection, right? And but I mean, people were so excited about it. And, and people pe- were excited. Yeah. I love seeing that excitement. Yeah. And I think what was great is you had consumers, but you also had buying community. The mm-hmm. buying community kept going to Laloy. Like, we see nothing else like this in the marketplace. Right. And again, we, we talked about that aha moment when I met Hannah and Nathan and felt a little like Kate and Andy syndrome. Same happened here where I remember when we got into tabletop at, at um, Kate Spade and it was like a sea of white china and then yeah. they brought color to the yes. world of. And that was such a huge part of the success and continues to be a huge successful business for them. And in the same way, what Anna's created with the rugs, with Laloy, it's the same. There are people mm-hmm. are walking in and saying, oh, it's like a totally refreshing take on this category. Yeah. Um, and then we had we launched it on our site shortly after High Point. Right. And then we got this like it was our top most engaged post. It was like <laughs> all these sixty seven thousand people were like I mean Laloy was blown away by it. Um, and they've been such amazing partners just in terms of um, learning in real time and supporting us from a marketing aspect and really like making sure that showroom looked good and you know that Anna was there and right. Um, Fantastic. And s- and so we saw an amazing reaction now from the consumer, right? Because you can have as much fanfare as you want at the market, sure. but then you really hope that that conversion happens. And so we launched it on our own site and sold out of like seven rugs right, right. away. Right. And, and this is a high retail for our consumer who's been mostly buying paper products from us on our site. So we kind of, Nathan and I talked about like keeping our fingers crossed that they convert and the Luxembourg rug sold out completely within like the first two weeks. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's tremendous. So that's always reinforcing. Right. And so that's got you itching to do more home oh, yeah. product. And yep. I know you can't say anything specifically about what's coming up, but you're you're working on other We have parallel conversations, certainly like in the interior space. I okay. think that I like to I like to build upon things. So like having the Loy presence and the, and the rugs sort of getting established and launched and then recognizing that there are, are low hanging fruit opportunities. And I've been talking to partners in the wall covering space and in the fabric space that just kind of like take us more into that world because we want to really just how do we continue to grow the world of rifle right um and so expanding on product categories that we're in Mm -hmm. so that we're slowly but surely qualwalk run creating this world of in one space before we say jump into accessories or something right um and so that's what we've been focused on now since okay so that's more of a short-term focus and and are you able to sort of maintain creative control uh, in in all of these partnerships well i think that the my licensing background comes um yeah comes in real help here i think that again working for ralph working for the spades it really is about brand integrity and so that's always the the front and foremost i think i help anna very well because she has a very strong point of view um but we both have found a nice group of where are the compromises right um but being able to work through partnerships as much as i take it for granted because i've done it my whole career can be hard for people um but i think that there's always there's always something, there's always, a, you're always negotiating, you're always compromising, you're always right. figuring out a middle ground. Um, and I feel very fortunate that I have the bonds with me who feel the same way. It's not just a hard, fast rule, it's a. It's how do we figure this out together, um, collectively, and really just looking at our partners as just an extension of the internal you know, teams. Um, and really what I think is the perfect mix is like we bring the design 
mm-hmm. point of view, but right. they're the merchants and they understand their industry and they understand like execution of production. And so that's where we have to really listen to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what do you make of the of the landscape right now i mean it it seems like there's such a a a period of flux going on in retail and e-commerce and um and you mentioned tabletop and i i remember so often being there for the kate spade introductions at lennox and the and the incredible uh sort of tabletop collections um but that distribution channel has changed so much too Right. right and and even sort of that lifestyle has changed so much and tabletop has has struggled with that i mean what's your what are you what are you focused on and as you you think the the best sort of distribution channels for for you well it, i mean that's exactly the question right and that's what we talk about a lot um anna nathan and i we talk about that a lot because i learned that very fast in my old um worlds and the different brands that are at that, that you have to kind of decide what path do you want to pick especially now as you're talking about the the transition in the industry is like where do you want to be distributed you couldn't you can do any category you want with a really strong point of view and a, and a good brand but where is it going where are we selling it yeah and we're still in the midst of figuring it out but i think that you know going to high point we learned that and with the Lloyd partnership that we will start to sort of um speak to the trade and really focus on the interior designer space and i think we have more opportunity to grow there and get into more categories that really speak to that i think the thing that we're finding is where like maybe a Kate Spade Macy's was like a huge portion of the business and it's still something to be assessed that we also I think e-commerce has just like cut through that like that's right. the biggest point of difference I would right. say when I was at Kate when we were like you were so heavily relying on department stores and so now I think it's like we feel like we have opportunity to speak to the trade space continuing with starting with Lloyd, but then with the other product categories while still making sure that we have accessibility through our own site and so we're really focused on our e-commerce site as well and also do not forget, there's 6,000 points of distribution, those independents, a lot of which carry home. I was fortunate enough when we were in High Point to go to some of those stores. Mm, and like we okay. have a mix of like some of them are stationary stores, some are real home stores, some are like stationary and gift stores. Right. And so of that distribution, how can we tap into that distribution too to sort of extend our products into that? into those channels right? because um, I'm a big believer in like where you have established start there and grow from there. So talking to some of the key accounts that I referenced before and saying, what can we be doing more of? And that's sort of what we're in the mode of now. Certainly some of our key accounts do have big home businesses. Mm-hmm. And so we are mm-hmm. certainly working with them to say, we're an important partner of yours. What can we be doing? Right. Um, and I think that what's great, and I did this in my past life too, is like working with existing partners allows you to work out the kinks of things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because they already know the brand. They trust the brand. It's like, let's try this. Let's experiment in tabletop per se. Yeah. And let's see what we learn about this before you go into maybe a traditional license in that way. So we don't have any sort of hard, fast rules about distribution channels mm-hmm. or sort of like the business model. Right. Because I think that's how you have to tackle it today is you have to kind of think through where are your customers and what are the products they're asking for and who are the right partners, whether it's a distribution channel or it's a manufacturer that are going to help you bring this all together. I think it's a lot harder on us as brand holders than it and then it maybe in the past was 
It, it seems like it's a lot harder. I mean, as you were just it's more saying, navigation. It, it, exactly, and you and you almost have to sort of constantly be taking the temperature yes. of where the marketplace mm-hmm. is and, and being nimble. Yes, exactly. And and you may start having the conversation thinking you're going to be opening yep. right at the department store level, as you were just saying, and then suddenly you you shift. I was surprised. We were talking with a, a linen company just recently, uh, and he was saying that still Macy's is sort of Bloomingdale's. That partnership is is still one of his biggest distributors and his biggest customers and that was surprising because they, all of the all of the business press is all about the decline of department stores and totally. right and no one's going to malls totally. and everything else but really for for specific kinds of product that's still where people are going and yes they have access Truth. online sure but they're still going to physically experience these brands at those kinds of stores Bloomingdale's is doing just fine up right. at that 59th street location no, I totally thank you agree very with much you. right I totally agree with you. I think you just have to you have to assess all of it. It's not a yes. one-stop shop. I think that the model, I would say, the formula that I followed, you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago rather, like it is definitely was like this is what you did and this is how you did it. It's changed. But I think that's exciting. Yeah. No, no, no. Cuz it, it kind it, yeah. of like puts a little bit more challenge on us to figure it out and I think it's about you know, all you can do is be disciplined and and approach it very authentically and say, where do I know my customers are? How am I giving them accessibility? Um, but how am I maintaining like quality of product in the manufacturer? Like, and how do, do I need to do it myself? Right. You know, or do I need to bring someone in? And can I bring someone who understands that the distribution is changing? And so maybe it isn't, you know, the way it always has been. And are you willing to come along for the ride with us? You know, I think that's the challenge. Yeah. And and what do people find most appealing about coming to, to partner with Rifle? Obviously, as we talked about, you've got this huge social media following. So yeah. you've got this sort of built-in audience that yes. people must be craving. Young, too. Young I think audience. that one of the things that also surprised us with in the survey is that, you know, the age range of our woman is like anywhere from 18 to 34 and really concentrated in that 18 to 24 bucket as well as like the 24 to 34 bucket, right? Okay. So you've got that highly desirable sort of millennial. Yes. Right. Okay. And you have this intense loyalty to purchasing whatever we put out on the marketplace. I think that we will continue to grow that audience, but I think that that's a really good place to start. And then I think the other thing is just the distribution. I mean, there's a lot of distribution that has continues to order from Rifle, continues to maintain the brand and give us more space within their stores. So there's clearly a resonation and there's all these points of distributions that can be leveraged. So when I think about it, it's like you have this really strong, um, authentic entrepreneurial story that people really gravitate to. We've built a community of people that have really embraced her, Anna's like sort of aesthetic. Um, and I think our opportunity is to continue to grow that world. And then I think we have um, this like young base that can grow along with us. So it's just a matter of making sure we're hitting the levers to make sure we're offering that person. right. Where. At and, the right time. And keeping where? right and keeping them engaged and knowing where they want to be looking for your product yeah. and the kind of product that they want to be looking for. And you feel like sky's the limit. You've got another Kate and Andy Spade on your hands. And this time you're not going to sell it to Liz Claiborne. You're going to hold right. on to it, right? That's right. And, and you're just going to grow the heck out of it. We hope so. Okay. <laughs> well, we, we can't wait to see what you all do next. It sounds like your sounds like your fan base is very excited and, and loyal. Mm-hmm. And, and for fans of the home world, it sounds like some some new product partnerships yes we're already working on the next collection of rugs and pillows okay and and furniture and lighting in in 2019 maybe 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 okay okay well we look forward to to seeing what uh, what you guys do do next thank you so much for for joining me uh, our guests have been anna and nathan bond and trish whalen of rifle paper company thank you so much thank for joining you, us Dennis. Thank thanks you. guys thanks for having us this is great 
Thank you again for joining us. The show is Business of Home, and I'm Dennis Scully. If you like what you hear, please feel free to subscribe, tell a friend about the show, and most of all, leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you again to our sponsor and our producers. You can find us at businessofhome.com or on Facebook or Instagram. We'll see you next week.